The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you, folks. Have a seat. So good to see you. So good to be back. Uh, This is my third time to be with you at this church, so I feel like I'm almost a member. Is that okay? Yeah, because, you know, three services each time, that's nine. It feels like that's a, that's a half a year or something like that. I love this church. I love your pastor. I've actually never met anybody like Pastor Rex, ever. That's, this is a mega church, and he stands at the front porch and greets people, tells people he knows them and loves them, and uh, the leadership here is unbelievable, so I'm so honored. It was fun to do the marriage conference, but uh, this is kind of what I live for, is having a, a shot at you on, on uh, uh, Sunday morning. I'm from Southern California, so I like everything about Austin except your freeways. Okay, what is the deal with that? So let me tell you how most humans around the world drive is uh, when they are ready to get off a freeway in Southern California, we just exit and we're wherever our event is. What I've learned here is you exit and then you keep going and then you drive and then you have to turn around and then finally you're at your exit. I don't know if that is all over Texas, but it's definitely here. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, of NASCAR. Okay. <laughs> Do we have any NASCAR fans here? I'm just curious. Okay, three of three people. That's great. Well, I know, uh, I know Pastor Rex is, is a NASCAR fan. If you don't know much about NASCAR, it's really when cars drive fast in circles. And a NASCAR track looks something like, like this. Um, uh, a few months ago, I was invited, all expenses paid, to go to Michigan for a NASCAR event. And I, I basically told the person I'd rather stab myself with a fork uh, than go to this because I don't, I don't really get it as a sport. Okay, I don't know how it's considered a sport. Actually, I thought NASCAR was an acronym for non-athletic sport uh, centered around rednecks. Okay, now, I, I know that in Texas that is, that is scary to say because NASCAR fans also own guns and like to hunt, and oftentimes have short temper. So I just, I'm just teasing if you're a short-tempered, gun-holding NASCAR fan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, okay? I can learn to like it. It's, it's better than watching golf, slightly less than uh, tennis. But I know Pastor Rex is a big, big fan. He actually is friends with Dale Earnhardt, okay? So... You know, Dale Earnhardt is the most famous of all NASCAR people, and he's, he's number three. That's his signature number, and I think it's cool that Pastor Rex has friendships with legends. I just thought he took it a little too far when he did this uh, to himself, so I just... <laughs> but the reason that I bring up NASCAR is because that's what I want to talk to you about today. I think NASCAR is the perfect metaphor for how many of us are living our lives where we're moving fast and we're going in circles and we're not gaining a lot of traction in, in life. And see, we're part of a culture that fuels what I would call this, this race car mentality, and there's no indication that culture is going to slow down at any time. In my neighborhood, I took this photo because I thought, man, this summarizes so many people's lives. It is a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit, and yet we are living at twice the speed. And we can laugh at stuff like that because we're actually part of a culture where we value busyness. 
When, when people are busy, we give them the sense of prestige. We even introduce ourselves or catch up with one another if we haven't seen each other in a while by saying, are you keeping what? Busy. And if they say no, it'd be like, oh, I can't believe you're not keeping. You must be a slacker. We're discouraged. The, you know, the whole bit. But busyness is the new normal. It is the new normal. And it's a life that many of us in here are choosing. Yes, keyword choosing. Busyness is a choice. And a lot of you won't agree with me on that, and that's okay, because when you get to heaven, you'll see I was right uh, on this one. But, uh, you know, so the last two days I've been here talking about marriage. And many of the marriage problems that we have point back to we're just too busy to spend time together. We actually spend more time walking our dogs than we do knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye as husband and wife. When I listen to the pain of people in their lives... Oftentimes it points back to um, their, their pace, their schedule, their stress. It's affecting our primary relationships. It's affecting our parenting. It's affecting our friendships. And it's affecting our faith. And I'm just curious as we start, would, would anybody be courageous or brave enough to say, um, there's a lot of seasons in my life when I feel real hurried and overwhelmed. Raise your hand. And I keep them up. I want you to look around because I just want you to see that you're not alone. Uh, people who aren't raising their hands, obviously visiting from Iowa. So we want to we wanna welcome you here. But, you know, busyness is displayed in a lot of different ways. Some of you have actually had the fallout today because it happens in every church, in every town, in every city in America where people fight on the way to church. And don't nudge, point out, or anything like that. But some of you, because of time and busyness and pace and rush and management of time, you're fighting on the way. Would you hurry up and get in the van so we can go to church and worship Jesus? Would you just... And that's happened this morning. Yesterday, Kathy and I, we stopped at a grocery store because we needed to pick up some food. We've been here since, since Friday. And, and we noticed that, that people here, because we just thought it was a Southern California thing, is that when you go, go grocery shopping, you actually run like logarithms in your mind in order to choose which line to stand in. You take the number of items in the cart, divide, times it by the people in line, divided by the age of the checker, and then you just, you just kind of stand there. And you don't stand there calmly. You stand there competing with the other lines. Or where you would have been if had you chosen another line. Right? Yeah, you're laughing because you know it's true. You're caught, right? And then when you win, and you do win, you walk by, you're like, no, I, I beat you. you know. But you know what? Busyness is also displayed in less humorous ways. Busyness is displayed in um, a lack of depth in life. Busyness is displayed in bad relationships. It's displayed in marginalized or fractured family. And here's the result. The result is that you're not the type of friend that your heart longs for when you're busy. You're not the type of husband or wife your heart longs for when you're busy. You're not the type of mom or dad or manager or leader when your life is so busy. So here's my difficult question. You're not going to like this question. I'm sorry. But (laughs) in a couple hours, I'm flying back home, so I really don't care. Okay, but uh, here's the deal. In your NASCAR lifestyle, where's Jesus? 
is, is he in the car with you? Is he riding shotgun? Is he in the back? Is, is he part of your pit crew that's helping you go faster? Is he in the tower above the, the NASCAR circle that's navigating the ways for you? Is he in the stands watching you? Or could it be that Jesus is actually outside of the racetrack? That he's, he's wooing you away from something different? Because the NASCAR lifestyle that has become a norm in our culture is is I don't think what Jesus wants for us. See, we're called to walk with our Savior, not race ahead of him. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this. The thief, he's talking about the enemy. The enemy, the thief, comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and say it with me, and have it to the full. See, Jesus didn't say, I have come that you might be overwhelmed. I have come that you might be stressed out of your mind. I, 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 have, I have come that you might always be in a hurry. I have come that you would be busy doing stuff. No, he says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Other translations read that I have come that you might have an abundant life, a better life than you have ever dreamt of. See, the, the essence of Jesus is fullness. See, his presence is for your benefit and for my benefit. Now, watch this. Then in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, I think there is an intentional connection between John 10.10. I have come that you might have life, and Matthew 11, there is rest for your soul. See, I think there's a connection there. Now, some of you are a little lost because you're thinking, take my yoke upon you? I don't even like eggs. Okay, you know, what is, what is he talking about there? See, take, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, here's what it means. It's an invitation to be yoked to him, meaning to, to follow him, to be connected to him. The yoke was a reference to a common wooden frame that fit over the shoulders of animals. It looked like this. And it would harness them together so that they would work together. Two animals would work together side by side. And watch this. They would share the burden of the load. Are you tracking with me? So now when Jesus says, be yoked to me, take on my yoke, what he's saying is, I will share the burden. You're going to walk with me. My yoke is easy. It's not tied to a fuel-injected engine. Walk with me, Doug. Learn my rhythms. Quit running ahead of me. Quit racing ahead of me. Take my yoke upon you. Now, friends, this little simple text, I hope you'll read it and reread it from Matthew chapter 11. The simple text says so much about our Jesus. It says, it says that Jesus knows us because he says you're, you're burdened, you're weary, you're heavy laden. He knows us. It, it, it also says that he invites us. When he says, come to me, his, he has an invitational God. He says, it tells us that Jesus gives us promises. I promise to give you rest. 
It says Jesus offers us a solution. He's not just saying you're busy. He's saying, hey, be connected with me. There's, there's the solution. He instructs me. Let me teach you. He comforts me. I am gentle and humble in heart. And he assures me my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this partnership between you and Jesus, it is so appealing. But what happens is, it, it just runs smack into this 21st century culture that moves so fast. And we're busy people. And we're connected people. We, we have, I mean, at, the, at just the tip of our fingers, we connect with hundreds of Facebook friends. And, and, and we have Instagram people that we got to see their picture of the food that they ate. And, and uh, you know, we, we have Twitter followers that have so much wisdom in 140 characters. And we're always busy, watch this, being connected out there when we're under-connected right here. Okay. So it's so easy to be connected out there in superficial relationships, many of them deep, I understand, but many superficial, and, and under-connected right here. See, busy is an enemy of the abundant life. It is. Busy is an enemy of deep, deep relationships. See, what Jesus promised about the abundant life, it, it can't be possessed with a NASCAR lifestyle. Because... Our Jesus just lived different than we do. So when God became human in Jesus, the incarnation, he modeled how to, how to live. And he didn't race around. As a matter of fact, there's a, one of my favorite books. It's called Your God is Too Small. It's by J.B. Phillips. If you ever get your hands on a J.B. Phillips, uh, he actually did a, a translation or a paraphrase of the New Testament. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. But here's what he wrote. If there is one thing that should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God and nature and the Bible is that he, Jesus, was never in a hurry. Long preparation, careful planning, and slow growth would seem to be leading characteristics of spiritual life. It is refreshing to study the poise and quietness of Christ. His task and responsibility might well have driven a man out of his mind, but he was never in a hurry. Never impressed by numbers and never a slave of the clock. He was acting, he said, as he observed God to act. Never in a hurry. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, Jesus didn't, didn't live at a frantic pace. And he hasn't called us into frantic followership. See, when you study the life of Jesus, you see that Jesus, he, he moved slowly. Here's something that he did that I think we can all learn from Jesus stopped for others. Okay? He stopped for others. That's a powerful truth. Because I want to be like Jesus, and many of you do as well. You remember in Mark chapter 5, when, when a, a synagogue official comes to Jesus to ask him to, to heal his daughters? His daughter? I, now, I wouldn't have remembered it either, but it's in my notes. So, uh, but in Mark chapter 5, this guy says, my daughter's dying, will you heal her? And Jesus says, yes. And so they begin to walk to this guy's house so Jesus can heal the daughter. And the Bible says that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So as they're walking to the house, there's this crowd around him. And this other woman reaches through the crowd just to touch, just to touch the robe of Jesus. And Jesus stops the parade, right? And he says what? Who touched me? Which seems like a dumb question. 
Okay, come on, Jesus, do we need to explain crowd dynamics <laughs> to the one who draws the crowds? I mean, who, what do you mean, who touched you? A lot of people touch you. I mean, maybe Peter's going, I would never touch you. Not three times would I touch you. You know, and, and uh, Bartholomew is saying, well, I tripped uh, Andrew, and maybe Andrew fell in. Now, but as this is going on, where Jesus is looking around, who, who touched me? What do you think was happening in the heart of the father? Who wants his, his baby girl healed? He, what, what do you mean, who touched you? Come on, Jesus, let's go. My daughter's dying. But what Jesus did, did is he stopped, and he was able to meet the needs of this bleeding woman, while at the same time not forfeiting meeting the needs of this guy's daughter. Okay? That Jesus stops. And see, stop, it, it, he modeled a love that stops. And I'm just concerned as I watch people of faith live in life, we are passing these opportunities to stop and love because we're just too busy. Okay? Not only did Jesus stop for others, but Jesus' sense of timing seemed to confuse other people. And as a matter of fact, when you begin to live a life that I think we're called to live, is a love that stops, I think all of a sudden people are going to be confused by, by your sense of, of priorities and, and timing. In Matthew, um, or John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his best friend, or one of his best friends, Lazarus, is very sick. And so now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. And they send word to Jesus that that he he was sick. So the sister sent word, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he loved Martha and his sister uh, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now think of this. This strikes me as comical. Your dear, dear friend is sick on the verge of dying. Jesus goes, let's stay here for a couple more days. Okay? And what happens? When he, what happens? Lazarus actually dies. I think sometimes, I don't know if Jesus would make the pastoral visitation team at most churches. Okay? Because you can imagine Jesus in a staff meeting saying, you know, Mrs. Jones, she's really sick at the hospital at Mercy General. Uh, you know, who would like to go visit her? And Jesus is like, I'll, I'll go. Uh, anybody else? You know, Jesus, you just, you, you'd take so much time to get there. People actually die. Okay? So, you know... Now, obviously, he does what you and I can't do. He raises Lazarus from the dead, but this whole sense of of timing confused others. And what I want you to see is that he just lived by a different way than we live, right? And then he, what he also did, and what's happening today, is Jesus called others to slow down. And that's just why I'm just passing on the words of, of Jesus to your hearts. He called others to slow down. He emphasized this relaxed truth to Martha. If you don't know the event, Mary and Martha are in the house preparing for the arrival of guests. And Jesus is sitting down and Mary is at the feet of Jesus learning from him and listening to him. And Martha's over in the kitchen and she's getting stuff going on and trying to get the house all done. And she actually comes out and, say, and complains about her sister. Jesus, would you tell your, my sister to help me? You know, and we're like, help, tell her to help. And look what Jesus says. But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, 
And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. I mean, you can almost see the words of Jesus in a slow countenance. Martha, Martha, Martha. It's a loose translation of the Greek right there. But, you know, Martha, you're concerned about all the trivial stuff. And Mary, Mary has it right. Mary knows what's most important. And I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we know what's most important. I think as followers of Jesus, many of us have turned this walk into a race. And we're always racing ahead of Jesus. See, love doesn't race. Love stops. Love, love strolls. Love meanders. Now, what if that described you? Now, for some of your hearts, I know what a busy heart feels like. You, you, I mean, this is so counterintuitive, even counterintuitive to the Christian culture, because in Christian culture, we think, i got to do more. i got to hurry myself up, because when I do more, Jesus will be happier with me. Well, the Scriptures don't say, don't have Jesus saying, get more things done. No, Jesus is saying, love him and love others. Now, friends, I'm not suggesting a lazy life. Not, not at all. I'm suggesting a life of more Jesus, more love, more family, and less speed. Okay? So how do we get there? Now, I want to be the kind of teacher that's helpful and not just point out the problem. I think anybody can point out the problem. Let's talk about, okay, so what, what do I do about that, Doug? Well, Think of a, this week, here's, here's your homework. And literally, who doesn't love homework? Uh, you know, especially during the summer. But this week, when, when you are at a stoplight, I just want you to think of this. I'm just going to make it real simple for you. When you're at a stoplight this week, there's three, three colors. We've got um, red and green and yellow, right? And yellow means what? Yeah, you got that a little confused, but that's all right. So, you know, some of you said speed up. And the Christian said, slow down. Okay, so I, I, I get that here. So here's what I'm calling you to do. Just think about this. It, it, this week, I encourage you to slow down to determine what's beneath our yes. That little word, yes. Oh, man. That's a demonic word. Okay, that, because little yes is what makes, makes me so busy. Why am I saying yes? Why did I say yes to that? Why did I say yes for that for my children? Why did I say yes for that for our family? Why is it that we're all so busy? It always points back to yes. And you have to slow down to get beneath the surface of why you are busy, why you're stressed, why you're out of control. Because if you just stay on the surface, you go, well, there's just a lot to do. Okay, Junior, that's not good enough, all right? You've got to go a little bit deeper and say, why am I saying yes? Because here's the, here's the deal. Busy people are broken people. You show me a busy person, I'll show you somebody who's broken. They're broken somewhere. They're broken relationally. They're broken emotionally. They're broken spiritually. Case in point, Doug Fields. Every time I find myself too busy, it points back to what I would call unneeded yeses. And why do I say those yeses? Because 50-ish-year-old Doug is still a little boy inside trying to please other people. He's a little boy who hasn't grown up. And so there's a little people pleaser in me. And I know that when I say yes to people, they'll like me. Just curious. Any people pleasers in here? Yeah, several and, and many liars. Uh, okay, so in that people pleaser in me that says yes... That yes is what is, 
is making me busy. It's my own insecurity. So when I'm busy, I'm broken emotionally. That's me. I don't know about you. But if you're ever going to get a handle on this, if you're ever going to live the life that I think we're being called to live as followers of Jesus, you've got to get underneath why you say yes to so many things and what might be broken about you that is causing you to say yes. Because there is a price to pay for busyness. And oftentimes it's steep. Okay? Then the red light means what? Stop. Yeah. Stop something this week. Okay, stop something. Just, just take it off the calendar. It's part of, your, part of your homework. Cancel it. Get out of it. Blame it on Pastor Rex. Tell him he, he told me I had to. Uh, that, you know, learn to say no because every yes is an invitation to busyness. You can say no. We don't say it enough. Let's practice. One, two, three. No. Yeah, now say it with conviction like somebody invited you to something lame. Okay? And, and you're going to say no. Count of three. One, two, three. No. Yeah, there you go. Now let's say it in Spanish. One, two, three. You are bilingual. You can do it. All right. It is in your vocabulary. Now, let's be honest. It's easy to say no to lame stuff, right? Like if after church you invited me over to your house to eat green bean casserole and watch Christian television. No. Okay. No, that's lame. I would not do that. All right. If you wanted me to see your daughter's seventh grade basketball game. No. Okay, I mean, have you ever seen seventh grade basketball? The final score is like four to three. No, I'm not, you know. It's easy to say no to dumb stuff, right? It's difficult to say no to good stuff. But light, I mean, that's where wisdom comes in from God's spirit. We need the wisdom because life is not about simple choices. Do I pet a puppy or get a colonoscopy? Okay, you know, that's not life. We're making choices between really good things and really, really great things. Now, you might be sitting there going, I can feel your resistance anyway. You might be sitting there going, okay, that might be easy for you, preacher boy. You only work on Sundays. Okay, but you know, the rest of us, like, we have have real jobs. And I'd say to you, Spanky, uh... (laughs) You know, maybe the reason you think you've got all this stuff to do, maybe all this stuff that you're trying to do isn't in God's will for you. See, just because you're busy doesn't mean it's God's will. Okay? Because God's will is that you would love Him and love others. And for many of us, that's not happening, but we're so busy in our 1,440 minutes a day. You can't make more time of the day. So in the time that God has given us to do, he said, love me, love others. And if we don't have time for that, we're not using our time right. And by the way, saying yes, let me just let you know, Jesus didn't say yes to everyone and everything. Jesus, God in the flesh, walked through communities where there were needs and he didn't meet those needs. Because while he was 100% God, he was also 100% human. And he had capacity. Okay? He didn't, he didn't say, you know, and he had a big job. <laughs> you try being the savior of the world. Oh, wait. Many of you do try being the savior of the world, and that's what's making you so busy. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times Kathy has said to me, Doug, there's only one savior, and he's, it's not you, okay? And he doesn't need you to replace him. Friends, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus... Something has to happen about the way that we live our lives. It has to happen with our pace. So 
we got a yellow light, we got a red light, and then we've got what? Green light. So that's the go. Go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. Okay, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. And so this is the yoked, okay? What would it look like this week for you just to be yoked with him, to walk with him? Well, you know, I'll tell you what it would be. You'd have, you'd have less stress and more peace. You'd have less race and more love. You'd have less busy and, and more Jesus. That what if, what if your value wasn't based on the size of your portfolio? What if your value wasn't based on where you are in your career? What if your value wasn't based on how, quote unquote, successful your children are? What if our value is based on, on how we, we love? See, I'm, the more I follow Jesus, the more I'm realizing that I'm actually called to be his apprentice. To follow him, to learn his ways, to learn his rhythm. That it's really, life is less about the pace and the chase and the race. And it's more about just celebrating and resting in, in, in God's grace. Less NASCAR, more walking with, with Jesus. Now, when I, we talk about walk with Jesus, I know for some of you, you've grown up in the church, you've been in the church a lot, and he says, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus. Here's what you see. Go, Jesus. Okay? And so immediately, guilt kicks in. You're like, you're right, Doug. I have not been reading the Bible enough. And, you know, and, it, and you turn it into a task. You know, I've just been like in the Gospels, and I haven't read Leviticus in, you know, years. I'm not even sure where Leviticus is. But then, you know, you, you, you read it, but you, you, you get to the, like, the fourth animal sacrifice on the fifth hill with the eighth high priest, and you're like, I'm a vegetarian. And, and you know, you're just like, okay, what else can I do? What else can I do to prove my love? No, I'm just saying, go on a relaxed walk with Jesus, okay? that you be yoked with him. And so when you get guilty, when you like, I got to do more, I got to, I, I want you to just be reminded of this image, okay? This, this is image, the image. You're yoked with him. You're walking with him. You're learning the rhythms of, of Jesus. So the next time somebody says, hey, you keeping busy? You say, no, no, trying not to. <laughs> trying to just walk with Jesus so I can hear his still, small whisper. <clears throat> I'm trying to follow his lead and listen to his voice. How about you? And then just freak him out with those staring eyes, you know, so they're like, I don't, I don't know. But here's the deal. To really love, you, you, love always takes time. And time is one thing that busy people don't have. So let's return to NASCAR for just a second. When the start of a NASCAR race, you hear this phrase, ladies and gentlemen, what? Start your engines. What if today Jesus is saying to you, lady, gentlemen, turn your engine off, get out of the car, actually walk away from the racetrack and meet me at the stream. No, some stream. Doug, did, did you not take your medication today? What are you, what are you talking about? Where's a stream in it? Remember when I showed you the picture of the racetrack? Did anybody notice the stream at the top? Okay. Well, oftentimes when we're racing, we miss beauty. And so here's my image. My image is this, that Jesus calls me from the racetrack to those waters. 
And he says, hey, Doug, stand with me in this, this water. And then I'm standing knee-deep in the water with Jesus. And what happens is I begin to, like, get anxious because we're not doing anything. And then I start seeing all the stuff of my life that's going to become drifting down, and I'm tempted to, to race ahead. And Jesus says, relax, relax. It's going to come, and it's going to come through me. And I'm going to handle it together with you. You don't need to worry about what's in the future. It's coming this way, and we're yoked. And Doug, you keep looking over your shoulder about all the stuff that has already passed by and already drifted through. And you need to relax because the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it has been washed through me. And I've got you. I've got it covered. I've got you covered. This is the life that I invite you to. Now, I know enough about you, Doug. You're going to keep looking over at the racetrack. You're going to think you need to go there. And there are things that we've got to do, and we'll do them together. But I just want you to settle in and feel my pace and feel my heartbeat. And know that there's more to your life than just racing around accomplishing your agenda. And I want to invite you to be yoked with him. I want to invite you, if you came in here and you have stress, if you have worries, if you've been anxious, if your pace has been quickened, if you're like, Doug, I've put a stake in the ground. I don't want to race anymore. I want to invite you to stand so I can pray for you. And I would love for our prayer partners just to hold their hands up around you. Okay? And for those of you that are in relationship with people here and spouses and you see a friend or a spouse stand, don't let that go unseen. As you walk out of here today, what did you mean by when you stood? What do you want to change? We want to be different when we leave here today. So Jesus, I pray for these fine men and women that you have spoken to them in some way in your still small voice that many of us are racing around and we're running in circles trying to fulfill our own agenda to win the race that we think is so important and you've called us to something so different. I pray that we would have eyes to see what that, that new race is, that we'd have sensitivity to others, that we would stop our lives. I pray for those in here who are stressed and overwhelmed and busy. May they sense your still, small voice calling them to a followership rather than a race. We thank you for your love for us, that your love for us is independent on whether we're walking or we're running, that your love for us is based on the fact that we are your children. And for that, we thank you. We celebrate that today in the name of Jesus. And God's people said...